1: Welcome back, everyone, to the 30th episode of the Take the Points podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Tate Seth, joined, as always, by Arjun Menon. Coming off another good week of football, Arjun, I know Sunday night didn't go exactly how you wanted it to, but other than that, how are you feeling?
2: Um, I, It was a really good weekend. You know, I know the Chargers lost, but, uh, you know, just a great weekend of football. We have a lot of things to talk about, and now that we're kind of past the midseason point, I think we we kind of want to do a, a big picture review. So I'm happy to kind of like look back on some of our old predictions and kind of create some new ones and and kind of like update some of our prior. So pretty excited for this episode and I think it should be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I do think the big picture talk will be fun. You know, Sunday had a lot of interesting takeaways, I thought, but we can kind of like evaluate these teams as a whole as we get more information on them. And so like this this episode will be, you know, some like, questions that we have about teams or the league as a whole going forward. Uh, next Wednesday when, when this episode comes out, you know, in between this episode and next week's Wednesday episode, we want to do a listener questions episode where if you leave a review on Apple or Spotify or Google Podcasts and you leave a question along with your review, we'll read it off on the show and answer it. Or you can leave a review, you know, send us a screenshot of the review or something on Twitter. And like give us the question that you want to answer. So be on the lookout for that. and Make sure to to go do that as well. But I want to start with, you know, kind of something that you know was we should be talking about with the Eagles losing to the Commanders on Monday night two weeks ago and then barely getting past the Colts this past Sunday. So when should we start to get worried about the Eagles?
2: Yeah, I mean I'm I'm worried about the Eagles. And like I was I wasn't too worried about them after the Commanders. You know, every team has kind of like blip in the radar and you know every team every team will slip up once in a while but to go and you know barely squeak out a one-point win against the jeff saturday colts i mean i think we should be a little bit concerned like there are some issues with this team and they're they kind of slipped out of the kind of like super bowl contender status like right now it's i think it's bills and chiefs as the clear top two teams and i don't know if i feel comfortable Putting the Eagles up there. Would you agree with me on that? I don't think
1: I would put the, the Eagles of the Bills or Chiefs category, but when you look at Super Bowl contender, they're in the NFC and they're still probably the best team in the NFC. That's you know something we'll get to with another question later on. But like I, I'm not like that worried about them. Like there is there are some concerns, but every team is is flawed this year with with kind of how mm-hmm. there's more parity in the league. Um like the thing that really stands out to me right now is the Eagles had zero fumbles lost in their first eight weeks of the season. They were undefeated. Five fumbles lost in their past three games. And so, you know, when you look at something like success rate, which, you know, doesn't, like, uh, strongly negative negatively, like, incentivize the, um, the fumbles, they still rank fourth in success rate these past three weeks. So that they have been struggling these past three weeks, but they're often still ranks fourth in success rate. If you remove all fumbles lost for every team in the league, they rank fourth in EPA per play these last three weeks. So I still think that the Eagles are a team that probably got lucky with fumble luck early in the season on offense and then just got really unlucky with their fumble luck these past three weeks. And we'll see something more down the middle the rest of the season. And that's kind of where they'll be where they won't maybe have a top three offense like they were having, but maybe it'll be a top seven, top eight offense. And we know that's enough to get by when you get to the playoffs.
2: Yeah, I, I agree there, and you know, going to the other side of the ball, the the defense. Like this was one thing I was I was like noticing early in the season. So weeks one through seven, the Eagles ranked ranked twenty uh, fifth in EPA per rush allowed, but because they stacked up these leads in the first half, remember our our first half wagons, uh, in in the, in the early part of the season. They never really had to go against like good rushing attacks or even if they did go against a good rushing attack, they had to drop like opposing teams would be having to drop back in the second half. Right. But now that teams are kind of able to play more balanced against the Eagles just because the Eagles aren't getting off to to these like super hot starts. I mean, I think the Eagles run defense is a little bit of a concern. I know they added Linval Joseph and Nadamika Sue, and they will get Jordan Davis back. But as of right now, that is probably the biggest worry for me about that run defense. And as we've seen with teams like the chargers or the Browns, like a bad run defense could really like hamper what you do on defense, because the whole point of Jonathan Gannon's scheme, very vanilla, don't stunt, don't really like, like to blitz all that often is go win on your one-on-one matchups. And they like to get teams into third and longs and then let, you know, and then just play zone behind them. Right. But when you allow these three, four, five yard chunk gains on first and second down, You're inviting the possibility of a run on third and two on third and three or some type of play action. Right. And it's tougher for your Mm -hmm. pass rushers to be prepared in those situations. So I'm a little bit concerned about the Eagles run defense. And that's something that I think they need to get fixed uh, before the playoffs, because, you know, teams will opt to run on them in the playoffs, especially in these like cold weather games in January. Mm -hmm.
1: That's true. Gannon has designed his defense where he wants teams to run the ball. Like that's that's kind of what he does as like an invitation to it. And Gannon I think was a year or two ahead of the rest of the league when he saw how important the nose tackle is going to start to become mm-hmm. again. And so that's why you know you go out and you draft Jordan Davis in the first round um because of like just the the sheer effect that he could have for you where you can play like a light box where you don't have to do crazy blitzes or stunts like you mentioned, and you can kind of get teams to run the ball into Jordan Davis. And so when they had Davis there, you know, they were still, I think, like doing exactly what they needed to do where, you know, even if the Eagles offense was going up and like kind of forcing teams to pass more than they wanted to, the Eagles defense still invites teams to run the ball. And like, I think, I think Gannon, you know, didn't have the personnel that he had, uh last year and that's why he was he, his defense didn't perform well this year he does have the personnel and like when they've been healthy and when they've had that true nose tackle they've been fine and I think that that should continue when they get Davis back from injury
2: yeah now the other point from the Eagles cold game we have to talk about Jalen Hurts so I kind of put out like a kind of takeish tweet that got some pushback on Twitter but I didn't really mean it in like a takeish way but like do you th- like, I don't know if the coaching staff really trusts Jalen Hurts as a pure drop back passer. Like his, his style of playing quarterback isn't the traditional Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers drop back and throw. Like he, he we they should be using his mobility and his ability to escape pressure and turn you know scrambles into big big gains as like part of the offense. But when the going gets tough and when the Eagles need a score, when they need a touchdown or a field goal, they rely on Hertz's legs and the run game in general. So there's three games now against the Cardinals, the Cowboys, and now the Colts, where the Eagles have got the ball in the fourth quarter. They've needed a touchdown or a field goal, and they've run the ball over 75, 80% of the time on that drive. So against um against the Cardinals, it was run like it was run, 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 run pass, pass, Run, 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 run. Like it, it's just a continuous cycle of runs, and like their drop back efficiency is two times what their rushing efficient efficiency is, right? But in these fourth quarters, Sirianni and Steichen have opted to go with the run game, which still one of the best in the NFL. Top three, top five O line when healthy, but it's a little bit. It, it's it signals something to me that they aren't passing in these fourth quarter, in these close game situations with Hertz. And again, I'm not the only one who thought this. Like I saw Ben Solak tweeting about this also, that it just doesn't seem like they trust Hertz as a passer. It's not an indication that he's a bad passer. It's an I think it's more of a signal of what the coaching staff thinks of him. I'm curious to hear your thoughts because I think, you know, you may or may not disagree with me there.
1: I'm going to give some pushback here. You know, J- Jalen Hurts ranks seventh in fourth quarter EPA per play this season. He also ranks seventh in pure passing situations when the chance of a uh, pass happening is 70%. He- he's been the seventh best quarterback um, in expected points added per pass in those situations. I don't think it's necessarily that the coaching staff doesn't trust Jalen Hurts to pass in these situations. I think he's such a good rusher and what he does in the run game is just so effective that they want to put Kind of like that load on on him there because like when when hurts can when Hertz rushed the ball at the end of this game he he rushed it very effectively this entire yeah. game uh you know against the colts he had 12 design rushes for, for 59 yards added uh 30 yards uh scrambling so like i just think that the coaching staff feels more comfortable with you know having Hertz be a rusher instead of a passer in these situations i don't know if that's something that changes in the future But it's just kind of what they seem to be leaning on right now. And, like, I don't think we have to have a binary, like, should be trusted in these situations versus not should be trusted. I think there's a range for the level of trust that they have. And Hurts is towards, you know, the the upper end of it. He's not ever going to be a Mahomes, Allen, Herbert. Yeah, in passing situations, but he is more trusted than I think the majority of starting NFL quarterbacks in the league. And like, that's where we can see kind of like his his like ability or effect there.
2: Yeah, I can I can get behind that. And I totally understand your reasoning. I think the other point is the Eagles rushing hurts as much as they do in these like late game situations. Like it also kind of puts him at risk of injury, right? Like, mm-hmm. especially with a franchise quarterback like him, like you don't want him to get injured by running the ball so much that so that's kind of why i'm just like a little bit weirded out that they don't pass the ball to try to protect him and like i, I think jordan my kind of regressed since last year lane johnson still in my opinion the best or second best right tackle in the nfl along with tristan worse but their offensive line is still pretty good in pass pro still very good in run blocking i just like i it's tough to just kind of kind of like understand the decision to put Hertz's body in harm's way when, you know, you still have two of the best receivers in the one of the best receiver duos in the game with AJ Brown and Devontae Smith and and yet you're still kind of running the ball. You know, at the end of games, but maybe Dallas Goddard being out changes things. Maybe you know the Colts' great run defense changes things. But the Colts also have a good, pretty good pass defense, and I feel like the Eagles would have the advantage in the pass def- in their passing game over the Colts in their running game. But that's that's just what I'm going to monitor going forward for the Eagles. Like you said, I think they're still one of the best teams in the in the NFC. But some small weaknesses have shown up, and I think you know those are small fixes that need to occur before we uh, see them hit the playoffs.
1: It is an interesting point because there is signal in, in volume, but I, I mean, I guess the, the volume for Hertz is still there. It just isn't happening from a passing perspective. So it's just kind of like, which perspective do you want to approach that from is, is like something to monitor, but like still they're like coming back, you know, down 10 points against a pretty good Indianapolis Colts defense uh, on the mm-hmm. road this week, I still think is like pretty impressive and like, like, like we la- or like, I like to at least talk about like grit all the time and like. The, the different ways that you can win games through like the the perseverance that you have. And like this, this was like a grittier win for the Eagles, where like we've seen kind of like, you know, more like fake contenders, um, like when the Steelers started 8 0 a couple years ago, fold in these type of games and not be able to win them. Like, the 2022 Eagles, like, showed that, you know, they were playing an inferior opponent. You shouldn't have been losing in that game anyways. But, like, it did show some grit to come back in this game uh, on a short week and, and kind of you know, steal one on the road
2: there. Yeah, I agree. Okay, Uh let's move on to another team that's kind of been rising up through the ranks, Uh or not another. We haven't talked about another team yet, but the Commanders, right? So, Commanders... I believe one in five before Taylor Heineke t- took over. And now we have Heineke w- with this trademark winning ability, uh, <laughs> just pulling games out of his ass. It seems like, even though it doesn't really seem like he's playing that well, what is, you know, what do you just, what do you make of the commanders at this point in the season? And like, how do you think of them going forward?
1: Yeah. Heineke is a winner, right? I, you, you just have to count that with him. But uh, what, what's, what's actually happening is what exactly happened to Washington, in the 2020 season, so their starting quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, uh, you know, started one and five, um, or, or was one and five when he was starting for them. The backup quarterbacks came in, uh, you know, as Alex Smith and Kyle Allen, a mix of them, and they had such a high-end defense that all these backup quarterbacks didn't have to do was mess up, and they went six and four in their other games and ended up limping into the playoffs. This season, when started two and four as Washington starting quarterback, Heineke comes in. Defense is playing really well. And they're four and one right now with with a pretty easy schedule the rest of the way. And so when you look at like the comparison between Heineke and Wentz, like they both have a negative EPA per play. Wentz was at negative 0.08. Heineke was at negative 0.02. So Heineke is a little bit better there. But what's which, which truly the difference between the two is their win probability added. Wentz took away 65 percentage points of win probability from Washington this year with 49% of that negative win probability that he had coming in the fourth quarter because he was costing this Washington team games in the fourth quarter. Heineke has a plus 17.4% win probability added this year, with a lot of that coming in the fourth quarter. So it's just the the matter of like Heineke just playing with house money and throwing it up to Terry McLaurin in the fourth quarter when Wentz wasn't doing that as often is like truly been the difference for this team, I think. Uh, it, it, as as they've gone in their their uh, winning streak here,
2: yeah the the Yolo ball it seems like Heineke's playing is kind of just working, but I don't know like I, it just feels like they're like Heineke's just balling out he's not really playing that well though and it's like the production he's still averaging a negative EPA per play like you said his PFF grade is worse than Wentz he has a higher turnover his turnover worthy play rate is almost two times Carson Wentz and his big time throw rate is is more than half of uh, what Carson Wentz's was so like I don't know it just like feels like it's just like this weird aura that the commanders are playing with and I mean, yeah, you just keep—they just got to keep riding this going forward. I mean, they have a pretty easy schedule coming up, and or for the most part, they do have a couple tough games uh, to finish out the year. But I mean, the Commanders could make some noise, sneak into the playoffs. But I think the biggest thing with this team has been their defense. Like I was, you know, kind of skeptical of their defense coming into the year, um, just because I wasn't like too impressed with their secondary. They let William Jackson the third go during the seat, or he requested a trade, and I don't—I still think he's playing. But the main focus of this team has been the run defense and their pass rush. Jonathan Allen and Daron Payne, in my opinion, are the best is the best interior pass rush duo of any D tackle in the league. Um, If you are like me and our friend Judah Forking and you bet sack props, uh, betting their overs, one of them is going to hit every week and you will make profit on those on those props but they just take advantage of bad offensive lines. Like this game against Houston, Jonathan Allen and and Daron Payne, I believe combined for three sacks. And now they're going to get Chase Young back, who I don't think is really like produced as like a pass rusher as some thought he would. But with, with Chase Young, you can't like divvy as much attention to Allen and Payne and sweat. Like, and he's going to carry that first round second pick bias where, offensive line coaches are going to be like we have to shade towards him or we have to double him mm-hmm. and that opens up more one-on-one matchups for alan Payne, and montez sweat and like i guess like the the weakness of these nfc east teams like the giants the cowboys and potentially the eagles is the interior of their offensive line right like the giants with like Shay, shane lamo and um think Will Hernandez for the Giants I'm I'm probably completely wrong there but like the the interior of that offensive line the interior of the Eagles Landon Dickerson is probably the weakest link along that offensive line and then for the Cowboys they're going to move Tyler Smith back from left tackle to left guard like the the commanders will have some opportunities to take advantage of some pretty poor interior offensive lines and I think Chase Young coming back will help them to do that
1: for sure the defense does deserve I think the bulk of the credit for the way that uh, Washington has kind of had this revival after a pretty shaky start. Um, You know, the first three weeks of the season, Washington allowed their opponents to have a positive EPA per play in every single game. But these last eight weeks, eight straight weeks in a row, Washington has forced a negative EPA per play from their opponents. And Houston just had their worst offensive performance of the year against Washington's defense since week four, their fifth in EPA per play and second in success rate allowed. And it does really start with that defensive line that you mentioned Montez swept, Sweat is fourth in the NFL uh, with a 20.8 pressure rate since week four. Jonathan Allen second amongst uh, interior defensive linemen with a pressure rate on 15% of his Mm -hmm. snaps since week four. So when you have this defensive line that can take advantage of the, the weak offensive lines, like you mentioned, offensive line has gotten weaker this year as a whole across the NFL due to development, injuries, you know, a bunch of different factors. So your defensive line can really wreak havoc and take over a lot of these games. This year, you know, we've seen it with the Cowboys uh, defensive line multiple times. And I think that we start to see this with Washington uh, going forward. And, like, they, the, the, they have a betting market uh, implied playoff probability of 43% to make the playoffs. So, like, they're, they're going to be, like, a coin flip uh, away from from the the playoffs. And, like, I would shade towards liking them to make it just because I think that the formula that they kind of figured out is conducive to success the rest of the season.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. That's gonna that's gonna be a very fun team to see how they finish out, and especially if Heineke's still um starting a quarterback. But it, let's let's keep on the the trend of talking about quarterbacks and move on to two pretty bad quarterbacks right now, <laughs> Mac Jones and Zach Wilson. I mean, I don't think the football gods could have scripted that game to go any better. Three three, and to win off a punt return for a touchdown. I mean that. That was the ultimate privilege from the football gods. I I really hope no one except Jets and Patriots fans are watching that game because my God, the 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 quarterback play was horrific. Mac Jones is negative zero point zero eight EPA per play. Zach Wilson negative zero point three one EPA per play. And I th- I think I saw probably at least a hundred re- retweets of that Michael Nania's one minute clip of Zach Wilson throwing dropped interceptions and underthrown balls. I mean, I, like, I just don't know what development he did over the summer because, you know, right now it, it literally looks like he's, he's a rookie that's seeing ghosts.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. And I think he might be one of the worst quarterbacks of all time when it's, when it's all said and done, right? Like to, <laughs> to have this much volume, like from a play level, like usually like quarterbacks this bad get benched right now, but. There have been ninety-five quarterbacks with at least five hundred plays since since twenty ten, and there's only there's only four quarterbacks that have had a lower EPA per play than Zach Wilson, Blaine Gabbert, John Skelton, Jimmy Clausen, and Josh Rosen. So he's he's been about as bad as Josh Rosen was. I think Josh Rosen's considered like one of the worst uh, quarterback picks of recent history, and Zach Wilson's been that bad. And like, it all starts with the draft, right? Like when, when, when Trevor Lawrence was slotted to go number one, everyone went to go figure out who was going to go number two overall to the Jets in that draft. And people were so obsessed with Zach Wilson's ceiling and the fact that he had this big arm and he could move around and his pro day throw and all that stuff. No one ever talked about the chance of that ceiling happening. The chance of the ceiling actually happening was really Mm. low. Like, For him to stand at BYU behind the best offensive line in the country, uh, you know, graded by by PFF that year, to play against inferior opponents the entire year and just be able to do whatever he wanted, like like drafting another Mahomes doesn't happen that often. It's literally one in a hundred. And the Jets like went for that ceiling despite it having a low chance of actually happening when Zach Wilson should have been the QB four or five in that class and he went as the QB two. And it's it's gonna set the Jets back. Like if they took Justin Fields in that spot like a lot of us wanted them to do, they would be, you know, one of the AFC playoff contenders right now. They could be contending for their division. But since they took Zach Wilson and he's been so bad, he's actively losing them games with their defense. This is what they're getting out of their season.
2: Zach Wilson is the reason why you just can't use wins win loss record for QBs. Like if Zach Wilson so like on an off tangent, the, you know, the Tua stands will say, you know, Tua is undefeated, right. When he starts the game and finishes the game and the dolphins are 0 and 3 when any any other quarterback finishes the game, the Jets have a winning record when Zach Wilson finishes the game, right? Like it, yeah. the, there's like depths to why win loss record shouldn't be used in quarterback arguments. And Zach Wilson is the, is the best example of that. I think like, so going back to your point about the draft, you know, there was a lot of also analytical work done on Zach Wilson, right? Like I think you showed and even the Jets analytics group with Zach Stewart in the YouTube video said Zach Wilson had the highest CPOE of any quarterback or one of the highest CPOEs of any quarterback in 2020 alone, I believe in the COVID year. So, and like, I think Eric Eager's text analytics, like text to pro projections had a lot of positive things coming for Zach Wilson, right? Like that's why he was really bullish on the Jets last year and why he was really high on Zach Wilson. But like everything you said is, was, is correct. Like he was playing behind the best offensive line in PFFs, you know, grading system. He wasn't playing that hard of a schedule. And when he did play a tough team, which I believe was coastal Carolina, which was a ranked Mm -hmm. team at the time he struggled, right? Like that, that's like the hardest part about these like QB projections if you pick a quarterback from a great school like Ohio State or Alabama, you have to be able to separate their ability to throw the ball and grade them on a curve from throwing to the best receivers in the nation. If you, if you're evaluating quarterback like Zach Wilson, playing at a mid-tier school, a small school in Utah, playing against bad competition, you have to be able to grade him on a curve relative to his opponents, right? Like that's why, like, and I think that's what one thing analytics can do very well is like adjust for opponent, adjust for strength of schedule. And even then he showed up very highly, but like you said, like, I think people were talking about the ceiling as this like one or zero thing. And a lot of people were leaning towards one, but the probability he hit that ceiling, given everything that he did in college and all the data that we had on him, it probably wasn't that high and it, it probably didn't warrant him being the second overall pick.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and to mention the the completion percentage over expected thing, uh, his final season completion percentage over expected was the best in that season, but uh, your career-long stats in college, you know, better predict how well you'll do in the NFL than your final seasons. CPOE. So when you include like his whole college career, because he wasn't that good before 2020, nope. he dropped below Justin Fields, uh, dropped below Trey Lance, and then dropped below Trevor Lawrence. So then he does actually become the the QB four. Oh, and he dropped below Mac Jones too. So those were the quarterbacks <laughs> that in in the draft class. You know, you can kind of throw out Trey Lance because he only threw 300 times. But the other four yeah. quarterbacks, he had a lower career completion percentage over expected them coming out. But it, again, like it just goes back to like, it's so tough to project college to pro quarterbacks. It's one of the toughest positions to do that. So I'm never going to really fault uh, front offices for, you know, taking the wrong quarterback from a result standpoint. But there was a lot of process behind, you know, a, a lot of smart people um, wanting Justin Fields to go number two overall because of what he offered. Um, you know, as as an accurate passer that hasn't translated over to the NFL, but like also what he offered as a rusher and the things that you yeah. do with him from that perspective. And like, that's why I think the Jets, you know, it's it's easy to say in hindsight, but they still probably should have taken fields there at number two.
2: Yeah, like, I think like rushing ability is is so important. It's one of a, a good predictors of like success from college to the NFL, like not, I know it's a very small sample size of like court, like rushing quarterbacks or mobile quarterbacks, but like like the ability to evade pressure and, and turn third downs into first downs simply by your legs. I think that makes up for a lot of like the inaccuracy issues at times. And like, I feel like fields and Wilson had similar arm talent. Maybe fields is like throwing motion wasn't great. And there were some issues with his mechanics, but like those things are fixable. Like he's, he's going to get, he's most likely going to get better at that over time. And Wilson just doesn't offer the same rushing upside as fields. And I mean, Again, there was just moments where you'd watch Fields throw the ball, six or seven touchdowns against Clemson with broken ribs. And it's like, wow, that, that like that kid's a gamer, right? And mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think I'm not saying the Jets got it wrong, cause like maybe the process was right and maybe all the analytics pointed towards Wilson, but I think at this point, you know, the it's time to really talk about what they should do. And that's one thing I want to talk about with, you know, what we should think they should do. Like, what do you think the Jets do at this point? We're recording this on Tuesday with Zach Wilson. Do you think they bench him or keep him as a starter going forward?
1: So if, if we were in the, if we were in the jets position right now, if we were Joe Douglas and Robert Sala, I think what you have to do is you have to try your hand with either Mike White or Joe Flacco at this point, because any competent quarterback would have won you this game against the Patriots. You just happen to start probably like the 34th or (laughs) 35th best quarterback in the NFL. You're sitting right outside the wild card spot, right? Like you're, you're the four seed, or you're fourth in the in the wildcard list. Uh, same record as the Bengals and the Patriots, who are a couple spots ahead of you. You don't have the tiebreaker to the Patriots, but you can do enough down the stretch to get into the playoffs with the 28th best quarterback in the NFL, or the 26th best quarterback. Like that's why I would ride either Joe Flacco, who would just chuck it up to Garrett Wilson, which probably should work. You know, uh, better than you know how often um, uh, Wilson is throwing it to Garrett Wilson. Or you kind of like lean into Mike White, who is more unknown, showed he could go off against the Bengals last year. Mm -hmm. um, And and then, you know, before he kind of fell apart and just kind of lean into that high variance as well. Because this defense is too good to kind of like have this quarterback play on the other side.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. Like this, they should be starting Joe Flacco this season or Mike White. I would probably go with Flacco just because veteran presidents, and i mean he didn't play like that awfully in his first couple games he might be a, like just a complete you know statue in the pocket but at least he can deliver accurate balls at times and like he he his like 14 or 15 years of experience will help him understand nfl defenses the problem i think jets fans are you know and like just nfl people are thinking about is like oh uh this defense is so good like all they have to do is get jimmy Garoppolo next year and they'll be a playoff team has no one learned that you can't predict NFL defenses? Has no one learned that the Jets are a top-three defense this year? They have an argument for being the best defense in the NFL this year. Let's re- like let's think about why their entire defense has been healthy. Like they might have lost a couple guys, quinnon or like some reserve guys. Quinton Williams has played almost every game. Carl Lawson has played. Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, uh, Michael Carter. Their entire secondary has pretty much stayed intact. Juan Alexander and CJ Mosley have played almost like injuries have not affected this Jets defense at all. And defense is so unstable year over year. There is no way you can, you can tell me they should go get Jimmy G because their defense will be top three next year. There is, so you just can't predict that. Right. So when your defense is top three within a season, you have to do everything you can to try and lean on them and win games with them and because you're not going to be able to like lean on them as much the next year for whatever reason, injuries, better quarterback play, better play within the division, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So if so Zach Wilson doesn't give me that opportunity to do that. Joe Flacco does, Mike White does. And at this point, we've seen enough from Zach Wilson to probably know what kind of quarterback he is long term. And in the short term, he's actively hurting the Jets. So I think they have to turn away and finally like, you know not give up on him for the rest of his career but at least within this year they have to make a change and you know kind of give this defense the you know the quarterback that they need to like you know why to to help the Jets win games because right now it's it's getting very ugly in New York
1: mm-hmm. I agree with all of that and you know I think as we transition to the Patriot side of things uh Mac Jones ranks 29th in EPA per play this season so Wilson ranked 32nd Jones isn't doing much better and I'm, I'm very curious to kind of hear your thoughts on what the Patriots should do from this perspective, because they do have Bailey Zappi sitting there. But when you straight up bench Mac Jones and go to Zappi full-time, that's not really something you can kind of like recover from, I think. Like once once you hand the reins mm-hmm. over to Zappi, you destroy Mac Jones's confidence for good. So if you were in Bill Belichick's shoes here, what do you think you would do from his perspective?
2: yeah I, it's it's a tough question but i think you stick with mac jones like i just like the bailey zappy stuff is weird because it's like he played well but he was also getting a lot of the easy buttons pushed right so patricia and judge called play action on 26.3 percent of his dropbacks in in his you know starts or his appearances they've only called play action on 17 percent of Jones's dropbacks which is like a nine percent difference like why aren't they pushing the easy buttons for Mac Jones like I know Jones is probably the better quarterback but if you were having that much success Zappi a 90.7 PFF passing grade 395 yards and four touchdowns using play action versus not you know running it as much running it as much with Jones like I'm just a little bit confused to what they're doing and like if you're running a very easy game plan for Bailey Zappi, I feel like you should be able to run that for Mac Jones. And like, you can also mix in some of the tougher concept concepts, the deeper developing concepts, but it just doesn't like, I just like don't understand what Patricia and judge are doing with Jones that they had a lot of success with Zappi and, and maybe it is that they're playing, you know, a couple tougher defenses like the jets in, in, like two of their last three games. But I I don't know. I, I think Mac Jones was like fine last year ranked 10th in EPA per play when including the postseason. So I don't think he's like a bad quarterback. I just like, I think the game plans for him and Bailey Zappi are different. And I don't, I don't think they should be. I think they should be more leaning towards what they were giving Zappi heavy dose of the run game and mixing in a lot of play action.
1: That's true. I, I do think while Mac Jones hasn't been good this year, a lot of the blame does need to fall on Matt Patricia and Joe Judge kind of heading up the offense because quarterback development, especially when you're like a young quarterback, Is so huge. Like Mahomes having the infrastructure in place to be able to sit his entire year one and come in um, with Andy Reid coaching him was big. We saw Josh Allen kind of take his jump, um, you know, as as because he was on the Bills. Lamar with the Ravens and the infrastructure they had in place for him, and we can even see you know the Bills guys go from the Bills to the the Giants this year and help Daniel Jones. And Mac Jones Mm -hmm. hasn't been given that opportunity at all. And I, I, I do think that when you have, you know, this this type of drop back passing game where it's none of the stuff he excelled in at Alabama. It's like they didn't even kind of yeah. figure <laughs> out like what he was doing so well at Alabama with all the all the RPOs and everything. There's basically none of that in this um Patriots offense this year. Mac Jones was best when you let him be the point guard and you have the four receiver sets and, you know, you can allow him to pick and choose because he was supposed to be a great decision maker, but maybe because of coaching or because more pressure has been put on him uh, to perform um, because of like the surroundings around him, his decision making is really regressed this year. And like, if you were Mac Jones with, again, with the defense that you have, all, and, and a pretty good run game, I think, you know, all you have to do is kind of just keep keep the offense uh, floating and kind of going along for the ride. You can't sink the lifeboat over and over mm-hmm. and over. And when he makes these crucial mistakes, like he didn't make any crucial mistakes against the Jets uh, on on Sunday. But if if he were to do that again, going forward, um, you know, going into this Thanksgiving game, maybe I think that's what can really sink the Patriots season. Um, because other than that, like they, they have the right pieces in place. Uh, from a defensive perspective but on offense right now it's 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 pretty much a mess
2: yeah I completely agree and you know like I think I think we're kind of just seeing the limitations of Mac Jones you know second worst quarterback under pressure only behind the infamous Zach Wilson but and he doesn't he's not really making like these game-changing throws he hasn't had a big time throw in four out of his seven starts like and he has seven big time throws but five of them came in one game against the ravens defense which we're, we're still figuring things out in week 3 like he just hasn't been like a game changing quarterback which he was never expected to be but like you said it's all about not losing the patriots games and only, you know not having a turnover worthy play against the jets this week and only having one against the colts last week are are kind of the reasons why i think he should be the quarterback going forward because he's not he's not actively losing the patriots games and again like I, I want to give all the credit to Bill Belichick for somehow having the freaking number one defense in the league again with by E.P. per play. It's by not having a single player eclipse $14 million in their payroll. It is, yeah. it is <laughs> otherworldly what this guy does.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I did see our, our friend Brad Spielberger point that out that not, yeah, not a single player is getting paid over 14 million on, on the defense and they still have the first defense EPR play by like a decent margin. It's not like it's like, that post in particular and it's just amazing what belichick does every single year from a defensive perspective you know you lose your best corner um i I guess you don't sign him you don't decide to re-sign him he falls off a cliff in uh los angeles with the chargers because like belichick just like somehow has this ability to know when that kind of stuff is going to happen and then he just puts (laughs) out the best defense you know Filled with rookies, I just I I just love everything about the Patriots' defense right now. You know when you look at like who is really like performing for them. Uh, you mentioned this on the PFF forecast, like Matthew Judon is a defensive player of the year candidate. I even think you know if it wasn't for Micah Parsons, like Judon would win the award. Yeah, and like he, he might even he might even should win it over Parsons. But just like the ability of you know getting Jack Jones and Jonathan Jones as your two corners to play at a really high level. Dietrich Wise, you know, is, is playing at a very high level also. And, you know, he, he's only getting paid or he's on a four year, uh, $22 million extension as, as Brad also pointed out. And like just the versatility of the safeties with Gabriel Peppers, Adrian Phillips and Kyle Duggar, all like really contributing and playing a lot of snaps. It's kind of a, you know, something that we talked about over the summer with the Patriot transitioning to more three safety looks, but it's really cool to see it actually play out and and I'm curious because like, this is going to be a short week uh, as they go, you know, they have to travel to Minnesota if we're still going to get a, a Belichick defensive master class um, on, on Thursday on, on Thanksgiving. But if, if we do get that again against the Vikings and, you know, he he puts Justin Jefferson in a cage while the other defenders are able to kind of tee off on the Vikings interior offensive line, then like, we need to put him back into the coach of the year conversation uh, as he should be every year. Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, we we didn't, you know, we didn't plan to kind of preview any of these games um, on the upcoming slate, but what Belichick does to this Vikings offense, I'm really curious because they're not going to have Saw I think he's going to, he's going to completely attack the Vikings weak ass interior offensive line with stunts and twists like he always does against bad offensive lines. And right now, Justin Jefferson's receiving yardage prop is 87.5. And if there's anything we know about Belichick, he's going to run the cover one double where he puts... Probably Jack Jones on Jefferson, Shay Devin McCordy, or Adrian Phillips, or Kyle Duggar towards Jefferson and just double him all game long and force primetime Kirk to beat uh him with Adam Thielen and TJ Hawkinson. So I you know, after we end this, I'm probably gonna take a hard look at Jefferson under 87 and a half because I I think Belichick's going to come out with what the Lions did to him. And that's going to be a, like, I think Belichick is going to put the Patriots defense on display and kind of expose Kirk Cousins um, on Thanksgiving night. And I'm excited to kind of watch that with you as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. For those who don't know, um, I mean, we don't usually share like personal life stuff on here, but Arjun and our friend Dak Brown, who was on uh, this, this show a couple of weeks ago uh, are, are coming to my parents' place for Thanksgiving. So, Arjun is gonna get the the journey, the privilege of seeing me and my dad watch Lions football together early in the day, and then we'll go have Thanksgiving dinner uh, that that my mom and I are preparing, and then we'll we'll be able to watch uh, Patriots Vikings. So I'm I'm very excited for uh, for these next couple of days here as we uh, as we go to go to my parents' place for for Thanksgiving.
2: Yeah, it's, it's going to be really fun, but yeah, let's move on to, um, you know, still let's keep on the Vikings because, you know, after the Cowboys Vikings game, I think a lot of people shook up their power rankings, not only for the NFL, but for the NFC in general. So, you know, unpredictable, which is basically the betting market implied power rankings for the NFC, they believe, uh, this is like what, what the order is. So they have Eagles as the number one seed in the NFC, then the Niners, then the Cowboys, then the Bucks, then the Vikings, then the Packers and then the Seahawks. So we're still seeing, I think, a lot of priors being incorporated for the Packers. They're obviously not the sixth best team in the NFC. They've kind of proved proven that over and over again. Is there any team you think, like, first of all, like, do you think the order in general is correct or do you, would you make any changes there?
1: Yeah, so... There's a clear top three, I think, that has emerged in the NFC with the Eagles, 49ers, and Cowboys. Whatever order you want to put those teams in, I think you could argue for. I think you can make an argument for the Cowboys being one after what they just did to the Vikings this week. And if they do get Odell Beckham, which it it does seem like it's heating up (laughs) for them to get him, then I think they have to be one. The juice that Odell Beckham would add to everything that Dallas is already doing and what Kellen Moore has really, like, you know, done to to this offense, uh getting Dak back, Pollard getting a bigger workload, all of those things makes me so excited about Dallas's offense. And they have a you know top five defense sitting on the <laughs> other end there. So I think there's that. But when you watch the 49ers on Monday night, it's hard not to think that they should be the best team in the NFC yeah. because of everything that they can do from, from that perspective. And but then you have the Eagles who have been consistently good the whole season. So I really think you can make an argument for any of the top three um, the, the thing that I think I would change here is you have to have the Seahawks over the Packers at this stage Easily. of the season. The market has been really slow to react to the Seahawks the entire season, but th- this, by this time in the season, when you're at week 11, week 12 quarterback play has stabilized. We know what Aaron Rodgers will be for the rest of the season. We know that he's going to rank about 20th in EPA per play when he finishes the season. We know that Geno Smith has been playing at a high level this year and that he'll probably finish. Uh, around 10 than EPA per play. So when you have that type of quarterback advantage, I do think the Seahawks have to be ahead of the Packers in in these rankings. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting that the market doesn't think that.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I think Seahawks should be above the Packers. I mean, I don't even think the Packers should be in the top seven because they're probably not going to make the playoffs. Like right now, you know, I think I would probably either put the, um, the commanders or the Giants over them. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's obviously like, it's it's obvious like both of them have worse quarterback play, but we just haven't seen the Aaron Rodgers of old. And right now the Packers win total is sitting at six and a half, obviously have heavily juiced towards the over. And on DraftKings, their their make the playoffs odds are I'm looking at it right now, it's it's plus seven hundred. So basically, Vegas believes. The Packers have a 12.5 percent chance to make the playoffs. I think if you remove the vig, it's probably around 85 percent. If I'm doing my math correctly, Um, I'm not. You know, I'm still getting used to a lot lot of these betting terms. Uh, But vig-free odds probabilities 85 or 15 percent chance for the Packers to make the playoffs. So, I mean, having them as the sixth-best team seems very high. Um, And you know, I I would probably take the Commanders and Giants as playing better. Uh, First of all, playing better football right now, and also kind of being better teams. But, but, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting finish to the season. Um, I think right now, personally, I have the Niners at number one just because their defense is just so ferocious. And, I mean, they just have too many weapons. It's just, like, really unfair what Kyle Shanahan has to work with. And he can really pick his poison any week and what he wants to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I thought George uh, brought up an interesting point uh, on the forecast where he was kind of saying – the Cowboys are a better are probably a better team than the 49ers you know it's it's very close though i think between the two but we saw what the 49ers did to the Cowboys last year in the playoffs because like when you have a run game that takes advantage of the middle of the defense and kind of like the backbone yeah. of the defense that's exactly where the Cowboys defense can be taken advantage of that's really the only area and so i think like the 49ers can do just enough to neutralize Micah Parsons and everything. So if they were to match up in the playoffs, I do like the the 49ers there, but maybe for the rest of the season, you know, slightly into the Cowboys, but mm-hmm. it's so close between the two because, you know, when, when you have, I think Jimmy G, this is, this is probably the best he's played in his entire career. Again, he's top five in EPA per play, um, <laughs> you know, which, which basically happens. How is he doing month. this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it's a third down efficiency. Like, his ability to find people on third down, um, you know, in the Monday night game where the third and three touchdown to Kittle where pressure came, he stepped up in the pocket and delivered an accurate throw that was enough for Kittle to break a tackle and get in the end zone. Like it just it's just kind of how it works for him. And um, you know, I, I think just like all these weapons and stuff, as long as they stay healthy, uh will, will be kind of like the thing that that catapults them forward. But the thing about the 49ers is they're more reliant on health than maybe some of these other teams are because they do ha- kind of have the stars and the scrubs going yeah. there with Trent Williams on the offensive line, and then you know Debo and Christian McCaffrey as their as their two main weapons right now. So if they were to lose one of those guys, I think it could be more detrimental to them if, let's say, the Eagles were to lose a uh, Devontae Smith or something.
2: Yeah, completely agree. I think I, I'm more worried about injuries on that offense, but I, I feel pretty confident in D'Amico Rhines as a defensive coordinator to, to kind of like figure out ways to get the most out of his players if anyone on the defense gets hurt. But uh I totally agree. And I can totally see your point of, of perspective. But all right, let's wrap up this big picture review with something I wasn't expecting at all coming into the season to talk about. And that is Brandon Staley and his decision making. So I'm gonna let you kick it off. Since you know, we kind of watched that Chargers Chiefs game together, like what is your overall thoughts about Staley and his aggressiveness?
1: I'm disappointed. I, I I used to be a big supporter of everything Staley was doing last year. Um, you know, something that had been pointed out to us by um M I B P J on on Twitter um was kind of like the the 49ers or sorry, the Chargers added a lot of EPA of wind probability on their fourth downs throughout the entire season, but their three primetime games was where it like didn't work out for them. And the media, the fans, they really came after Brandon Staley. So I think that got to him. I actually think it's a, it's a psychological thing. So he's become conservative on fourth downs this year. Like that's what everyone wanted. Um, And he's added negative 46 percentage points of win probability on fourth downs this year. So that's, that's worth about half a game. So he's lost yeah. the charges about half a game. With his fourth down decisions last year, uh this year. Last year he added one point three um wins or one point three games uh because of his uh win probability decisions on fourth down. And so he's like a pretty good defensive mind. He's not like a great an, an elite defensive mind, like like um you know how Dan Quinn or Bill Belichick have been getting their defenses this year. So when you're just a, a pretty good defensive mind and you don't have the fourth down edge anymore, that's where I have to start to kind of question you know maybe staley's future as a, a really good nfl head coach because i thought he was a really really good nfl head coach coming into this year but it's it's just kind of like that trade off there that he made
2: yeah it's it's tough man like again i never thought we were going to be having this discussion at this point in the season we kind of figured out early on in in the week 2 chiefs game that something was up with staley in fourth downs when he punted it twice on fourth down in kansas city where like you should be more aggressive on the road as an underdog and Mm -hmm. yeah it's just i i think people are using like the outside influences and potentially like the in-house influences that he shouldn't be going for it and that's that's like that could be true we don't really know the answer i had three reasons why the chargers might not be as aggressive so Number one is their run game is just god-awful this year. Like, they have no push. Without Rashawn Slater, they can't run the ball outside the tackles. Um, There's no real trust in their interior offensive line, which has taken a huge step back since last year. And I think our friend Keegan Abdu tweeted out something that, like, the Chargers are bottom three in these, like, short-down situations and getting stuff behind the line of scrimmage and yards before contact. Like, there's just no faith, I think, from Staley in this offensive line in running situations and short-downs or short-yardage situations. Number two is like I think he thinks the defense got better, which is a you know, kind of a um it's kind of a product of how much they spent in the offseason trading for Khalil Mack, signing JC Jackson, uh Kyle Vanoy, Callahan, like this idea that they improved along the defense when in reality they've like gotten worse statistically almost, and they're still 31st in EPA per rush allowed, which is just sad. Uh so I think that could be playing a factor. And weirdly, like it's a positive thing, but also a negative thing the chartered a third in special teams EPA which is like a first in their franchise history it feels <laughs> like for at least the last decade so this idea that he can flip the field and pin them back because of their good special teams this is where having a good special teams could could maybe be could maybe be a minus EV thing <laughs> like would you agree there or like is that going too far like
1: probably probably going a little too far yeah <laughs> here, but <laughs> But I, I, I mean, I could see like how all of the reasons that you pointed out are kind of blended together for getting like more conservative on fourth downs. But it still shouldn't be this much of a drop off from being yeah. a top five aggressive coach last year to being you know below average this year going for it on fourth down. And like you could see in this game, like how like it lost them the game really was kicking the field goal on fourth and two right before the half. And then punting on fourth and inches, those are you know potentially eight extra points that you're giving up if you convert touchdowns on both of those. If you only convert on one of them, you know two field goals is still worth less than one touchdown and an extra point. So like that's like that, that like I don't like sees these situations play out and evaluates it and talks to his analytics staff that we're both fans of. Shouldn't they start to realize that? these have become like moves that are losing them games um even though people tried to say his aggressiveness last year was losing them games when it was actually helping them
2: win games yeah i completely agree like that he he won them games by his decision making like they added pretty much one and, a, one, and a half, one and a quarter wins and like it's not it's not that like he stopped listening to his analytics people like he literally like quoted was on like he was quoted saying that he listens and and he takes in the information from the fourth down mo- model built by the chargers analytics group by did the christian and alex stern like they it's not like they stopped using the model i just like i think he has kind of like not trusted the offense as much and and yeah maybe it's people were telling him you shouldn't be going for it as much and like you need to play more of that old school football but I don't know when, when Brandon is only 38 and kind of in this new generation of coaches, like I would figure that he would lean towards like trusting the model more in some of these, in some of these like big game decisions. But yeah, I think going forward, the Chargers basically need to go five and two, six and one to make the playoffs. So they're going to have to be more aggressive. And if the, as the offense and and defense gets healthier, I'm hoping his aggression stays um, on both sides of the ball.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this would be kind of like the kitchen-, kitchen sink time for the Chargers anyways, like you could have really stolen that that win against the Chiefs there. Um, if if you were just able to do like a couple extra things. And like if if Herbert, you know, plays at the level that he played on Sunday night, and you still have some pretty good defensive game plans that come the rest of the way, like I, I could see a path for the Chargers rattling off some wins and kind of making the the playoffs um as as the six or the seven seed uh, it's it's gonna get really tough down the stretch to do that now that you've kind of pinned yourself into a corner so it m- you might as well become more aggressive on uh the fourth downs you know just just because like they're you're gonna have to do that those types of things to to kind of yeah. like win win those games that you mentioned there or you you uh lean into like being like super aggressive on offense like there's there's a lot of things that the the chargers could do it's just a matter of actually putting it out there and executing it
2: yeah i agree so before we get into our award segment i i did want to do a quick run through of our top 10 quarterbacks in the nfl right now so this is like who we think are playing the best and kind of our own subjective bayesian rankings so no explanation we'll just go you know you go one i go one you go two i go two and we'll go from there so why don't you kick us off with number one
1: uh easy one here (laughs) Mahomes.
2: Yeah, I have Mahomes as well.
1: Allen is my second quarterback.
2: Okay, I I have Herbert, but I I you know Allen's my three.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've Herbert at three, so we have the same top three there. And then yeah. I'm still going Lamar at fourth. I know he struggled a
2: couple of these past couple of weeks, but I'm still gonna have him there. No, I yep, still have Lamar at four,
1: and then Dak at five for me.
2: Interesting. Um, I have I have Brady at five.
1: Oh okay yeah I I can see that. Um I can see that for sure. I have Burrow then at 6 for me.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Burrow at 6.
1: Um and then I'll 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 put Brady in at my 7 spot.
2: Okay. Yeah, I have Doc at 7.
1: Okay. So that 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 also makes sense there. So we have the same like kind of second tier. Yeah. And then getting down I have Hertz there and then after after Brady at, at that spot.
2: Yeah, I have Hurts at eight,
1: mm-hmm. and then I have two at nine. I don't think you'll agree with this one.
2: Um, I I have Rogers at nine. I I don't want to give up too much on Rogers, but like you know, I think he still should be top ten. If you put him in a different situation, I feel like you'd succeed.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll put Rodgers at ten. I I, I do kind of agree with that.
2: Yeah, and then I have uh I have Hurts at ten but two was two would be 11 and I could see, I could easily put them at 10. I just things we've talked about on Twitter and and elsewhere. uh, I just want to see a little, a little bit more instead of eight games, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I get that. And yeah, I I do like adding in the honorable mentions there. Like whenever I put out a, uh, a list of anything, quarterbacks coaches, I'll throw in like eight honorable mentions, just so like people (laughs) don't get mad at me, but they still find a way. They still find a way. So, um, but yeah, this was, this was fun. I'm glad we got to, talk about all these different topics. So uh, let's jump into kind of our next segment here where we give out our Who Is Him awards and our letdowns. You are not him. You are not told him. Told a bitch I'm him. quick playing. Turn to ride with a boss. What bitch get in? Try yeah, to yeah. stay on the road like the Michelin man. Oh, Put an bro. M on your head like a yeah. Michigan man. All right, we will be doing our Who Was Him awards first. So, Arjun, why don't you kick us off with who you will be giving your first award to?
2: Yeah. So, uh, my first award, I'm giving it to Ryan Tannehill, who has really impressed me, honestly, this year. Um, Going into that Packers game on Thursday night, I was not expecting him to kind of have this really good passing performance against a pretty solid passing defense. 333 yards, uh, two touchdowns, one interception, an 84.3 PFF passing grade, four big-time throws. Like, I mean, he's throwing the ball to Traylon Burks, Robert Woods, Nick Westbrook-Kine, Austin Hooper, and Chig O'Concrow, and still putting up a pretty good performance against... A defense which is kind of underperformed but still i would say has the talent advantage on the back end of the defense so i've been really impressed with ryan tannehill the last couple of weeks honestly the over the, the season a 0.57 e-paper play on the road in a cold in a cold environment um on, on on a short week is very impressive and i think very deserving of a award and he he's another honorable mention in our in at least my top 10 quarterback mm-hmm. rankings
1: yeah for sure and I, I I'm glad we're giving uh, Tannehill some some credit here because like the Titans have the worst pass blocking grade in the NFL right now. Uh, Their offensive coordinator got a a, a DUI, um, you know, so like things things might not be going well. There's like there was opportunities for you know this like things to to kind of like not go well, but he just he just overcomes stuff and he, he keeps playing at an efficient level, um, and and so it's 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 been really impressive for him. Uh, I'm going to give an award to Lions interior defensive lineman Aleem McNeil, who took over the game on Sunday against the Giants. 11 total pressures generated. uh, One sack, two hits, eight pressures. uh, You know, insane performance. 92.3 PFF pass rush grade. And, you know, I think that, like, everything that McNeil is doing without his, you know, fellow three technique in Levi who's who's injured right now, is really impressive if if he were to get him back, like I, I think that he could even go to the, the next level. And Doug Tide at PFF had like a, a funny stat. I thought he said this was the most pressures that anyone over 320 pounds has ever had in the PFF era with with McNeil's 10 pressures. So it was more than Dexter Lawrence's nine pressures in uh, week 10 of this season. So, you know, pass the guy on the other side of the field in, in that metric, which, uh, which is good for McNeil as well.
2: Yeah, I'm really excited for you. And and hopefully McNeil is kind of a staple of that Lions defensive line going forward with Hutch and Josh Pascal and when Onzeriki comes back. And hopefully there is a, a little bit of a push up front uh, when they're all healthy. Um, I'm going to go with Devontae Adams, who I thought had an absolutely great game against the Broncos. Seven catches, 141 yards, two touchdowns. Um, he generated 8.4 total EPA. And the great, the good part about Devante is just like, you, he's so versatile. He had 17 snaps lined up in the slot, 23 out wide, and six of his seven catches went for a first down. So he was like almost perfect on Sunday, didn't you know, he, he did have one drop, but for the most part, he was dominating Patrick Sertan. Like Patrick Sertan was the guy that was in primary coverage mm-hmm. in five of his targets. He had four receptions, 85 yards and two touchdowns against Sertan. And I know, um, Ted Gwen from Ted Nguyen from the athletic posted a really cool clip of like how Devontae set up that game winning post corner. He sold that uh, crossing route super hard, and then broke out and Sertan jumped the crossing route so hard that Sapano is wide the hell open. So I think he's you know kind of been as advertised with Derek Carr, and you know if if it hasn't been for the Raiders just like awful luck in one score games and their terrible defense, I think he would be getting like Opoi or oh, I don't know why I said Opoi, but Offensive Player of the Year recognition, and he's he's been great.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I agree, and. Yeah, he, I mean, he ranks highly in, in, you know, a lot of receiver metrics this year. Again, the funny thing about that last play was Sertan definitely thought he was going to get the game-winning interception. Like, <laughs> I'm sure he, like, saw it in his head. And then when Adams just turned to the other side, and Sertan I was like, oh, shoot, like, like I just I just blew the game, didn't I? But, yeah, Adams, yeah. Adams has been great. Um, I have to, you know, shout out my guy, Tony Pollard. I've been saying for years now that he should be getting the majority of the carries over Ezekiel Elliott in uh dallas but you know again like we had to see him with more efficiency and he had you know five rushing yards over expected on 16 carries in this game so showing that his efficiency doesn't crater with volume um but then his receiving production was insane 109 receiving yards was the seventh most of any receiving option this past week and he's really showing that like he can stay in the game and like affect it in multiple ways. He used to just be an outside rusher, like that's why his efficiency used to be so high, but now he can run between the tackles, he can catch the ball better. You know, he needs to work on his pass pass blocking, but once that gets better, you know, he can be like a really complete running back. And it's going to be super interesting to see how the Cowboys handle his contract this offseason
2: yeah um so i think you know just for our listeners tage said tony pollard i think you cut out right as you were saying his name so he was giving an award to pollard and i think it's you know 100 justified um i'm gonna go with for my last award to travis kelsey who just kind of obliterated my chargers on primetime. time six catches under 15 yards three touchdowns uh an elite 92.8 uh pff receiving grade, and i mean I don't know what to say. Like I wasn't like too, I wasn't like confident that he was going to go under his receiving yard, his proper, like he was going to underperform, but I had some indication that I thought the Chargers would just stick Derwin on him in these like high leverage situations. And he wouldn't kind of take over a game like he normally does. But I mean, he just bullied anyone that guarded him kind of outside of Derwin James for most of the game. And then obviously the, the game winning touchdown was him kind of just beating Derwin off the line, running a mesh route and catching the seven, the 17 yard yard. Touchdown pass from Mahomes. So, you know, Kelsey has an argument to be the greatest tight end of all time. I think he's just his consistency and Iron Man uh, ability has kind of put him up there. And I mean, him and Mahomes are is probably the best uh, uh, quarterback receiver or pass catching duo in the NFL right now.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure, I, I I think I agree with that, and I do think the off season debates between Gronk and Kelsey and whatever other tight ends <laughs> want to throw their head in the mix. Could could be really fun. Just don't let Emmanuel Acho get a hold of that, uh, or else he'll he'll just say the most random take ever. But uh, last award here for me, T. Higgins, I thought was awesome against the the Steelers in this game. 148 total receiving yards, the most of any receiver this past week. And, you know, like this is – he's doing it without uh, Jamar Chase. And, like, what really was good for T. Higgins was he did a lot of his production in the first half and then Tyler Boyd went crazy in the second half and like you saw the effect that Higgins had on the Steelers defense that they had to shift more over to him so you know with chase kind of being 50-50 coming back this week like if, if they like they might have you know um a, less of a like push to rush him back because like Higgins can can kind of show he can he can do it on his own and you know, I want to see him kind of do it uh more often because I thought
2: it was really cool to see him go off yeah, no. T Higgins is 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 making his money th- in the stretch without Jamar Chase, and I mean, he's going to get a huge bag. I think at least over twenty million, probably over like twenty two, twenty three million. Uh, by the time the season's over, or by the time he hits free agency, if the Bengals elect not to re-sign him, but um, let's move on to some letdowns. Uh, who was one player that you thought performed pretty poorly, and you know, kind of is deserving of a letdown award? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I thought Jalen Ramsey was surprisingly pretty poor on Sunday against the Saints. Gave up 84 yards, um, which was the 12th most on the week, but gave up two touchdowns. And I think this, you know, is also kind of like a Chris Olave praise, uh, yeah, statement too, because like what Olave did to Ramsey, like not many rookie wide receivers could ever do that. And he kind of just like went to town on him and, you know, beat him deep on like a kind of like a stutter and go uh, for one of his touchdowns. That was like a really impressive route and just shows how polished Delavi is, but like the Rams have the eighth worst pass defense in the NFL right now. They don't get much pressure, but you know, Ramsey is, is can only do so much and like, he's been good for most of the year. But when you become one of the weak links, like he was in this game, that's where the defense can really fall apart. And it did.
2: Yeah, the I mean, Chris Olave had a had a number of good reps against Ramsey, and yeah, I don't know if Ramsey's just giving up on the season because the the Rams just suck right now. But mm-hmm. um, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see him check out at some point. Not not that I'm questioning his character or anything, but I feel like any veteran guy in this kind of situation would kind of not be pleased to be in this situation. I'm actually going to give an a, my letdown award to a, another top cornerback, Patrick Sertan. So we talked about Devontae Adams being very good. I think. Sertan, just in general had a bad game, probably his worst, the worst game of this season, probably of his career. Uh, he he allowed five receptions, 106 yards, um, two touchdowns, four first downs. He he just wasn't that good in coverage this game. And look, every coverage guy is going to have his down moments. Like it's very tough for a coverage per, player to be perfect throughout the entire season. I think PS two is still one of the best corners in the league, top five right now. Um, but I think Devontae kind of. Took him to school, and again, it, it happens. Like it's going to happen to certain It's going to happen to any corner that guards Devontae Adams. So mm-hmm. that is who I'm going to give my letdown award to.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I like that as well. And yeah, like he'll he'll be fine. He's still a great corner. Just just a tough Sunday for him. But yeah, this, this, this is a lot of fun. uh Yeah, like doing this a little bit differently than how we usually do our week reviews. But it was still good to talk about a lot of this big picture stuff. So we'll do our week twelve preview. Um, in in you know and upload it on friday like we usually do thanks to everyone who came to the twitter space last friday we both had a blast doing that really appreciated everyone that spoke during our twitter space uh you know we talked bets and we went two oh and one with bears plus three being a push there and when won our other two bets so that was really yeah. exciting and then on a heater yeah <laughs> yeah i know you know despite might, might hopefully will continue the rest of the year but uh, yeah, just just a reminder. So, if you want to submit a a review for how our show is doing um, on on Apple, you can like leave a comment with the review. So, if you want to submit like a question there that you want us to talk about uh, on the next episode, you can do that on Spotify. I don't think you can submit um, like a a a question with your like stars review, like how many stars you rate it. So, if you just like submit a review and like want to screenshot it or just tell us that you did and dm uh you know either my twitter account or arjun's twitter account or the take the points twitter account and like say that your listener question we'll do that next week so the the wednesday show next week yeah. will be some listener questions about like the season or the nfl as a whole so really appreciate you guys for uh for for going on and, and doing that